Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Well, hello, Orchards Community Church. Pastor James here joining you on the big screen. And I don't know, maybe by the time you're watching this on Sunday morning, I'll be sitting out amongst you. Maybe my surgery went that well or my physical therapy is going that well. I'm not 100% sure, but either way, I'm glad that you're joining us here as we're going to wrap up this week four of our Advent series. have been walking through our Christmas playlist together and rejoicing over the fact that God loves people so much that he sent his son. He sent our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we talked about he sent him the first time as a little baby in the manger, but we understand Jesus grew, he matured. He became the God-man who went to the cross to pay the wages for my sin, pay the wages for the sin of all mankind. And we know Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. Amen? He rose again. He conquered sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's going to come again to usher in his kingdom that will have no end. Truly, during the Advent season, that's what we celebrate. The reality of Christ's first coming and the glorious promise that he's going to come again. And so we've been walking through this together. The fact that because Jesus came, we have hope. We have hope not only in our circumstances now, but eternal hope. We have peace. Peace that's available to us in this lifetime that surpasses understanding. And we have love. Love that was manifest, we talked about last week, made visible in the arrival of Jesus, who came to offer abundant lives to everyone who professes faith in Jesus. And that abundant life should be marked by us living in love because God is love. And he first loved us. And that brings us to this final week in our actual Advent study. We're going to talk about joy that is coming. And then next week on Sunday morning, that's going to be Christmas Eve. So we're going to do something It's kind of far out there. I don't know if you can wrap your mind around it. We're going to talk about Jesus because that seems to be what Christmas is all about. It's crazy, I know. We're going to wrap up our Christmas playlist today talking about this joy that is available because of the Christmas story. We're going to turn to a pretty familiar passage. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible with you, you can grab that and join me there. But before we jump in, I was reminded this week, remember a dear friend of mine and his father might have invented dad jokes. He, he had zillions of them, and they, they were not good. <laughs> but this guy was a good friend of mine from way back, junior high, through high school, through college, played our softball teams together. He was in my wedding, good friend. But his parents were actually very, very good to me. They were kind of like my second parents, and I spent a lot of time at their house. And, and his dad jokes were just the worst. I mean, they were literally horrible. He had such classics as, hey, you want to hear a joke about pizza? It's a little cheesy. (laughs) But he did have one bit that I absolutely loved. I mean, I thought this was so funny. I thought it was gold. He used it on me. I saw him use it on many people over the course of the years. But, But this dad would ask people, hey, have you ever seen a picture of my pride and joy? 
And he was married, he had a lovely wife, she was so sweet, he had two boys that he was really proud of, but he'd, he'd ask, do you want to see a picture of my pride and joy? And then he'd reach in his shirt pocket and he'd pull out this. <laughs> and I think that's a solid dad joke, right? Of course, pride comes before the fall, we're not going to talk about pride today. I do want to talk about joy. And let me start here, if you're watching today and you're a Christ follower, can I ask Do you remember the Jesus event in your life? For every person who has a testimony, they have a story of how God saved them. That testimony has three parts. There's the time before we knew Jesus, and there's that time after we have professed faith. But right there in the middle, there's something I call the Jesus event. And that's the moment that we actually placed our belief in Christ. That's the exact moment that we're saved from our sin and saved to an eternal relationship with Jesus. So for everyone who has a testimony, if I could ask you to try really, really hard, can you remember that Jesus event? And then do this. Think about what you were feeling at that moment, okay? And I'm not trying to to elevate our feelings. I don't want to make that more important than that Jesus moment. But can we remember the feeling that we felt at that time, because almost everybody that I've talked to, when they remember this, that the experience of God saving them, the feeling they have is joy. And I know that was the case for me. I don't have time to share my whole story today, but, but I do remember God really drew me to himself through the ministry of Young Life. And he primarily used two people, and you know one of them, because I wound up marrying that girl. But, but the other guy... There's a friend of mine, his name is David Goss, still to this day, one of my dearest, dearest friends. But I remember I'd gone to a Young Life Club, Christina had invited me, and Goss was standing up there sharing part of his testimony. He was the Young Life area director. And he was talking about how important his college football coach had been in his life. And this was a guy that I got a chance to meet later on. He's a very accomplished coach. He, he led his team to three NCAA Division II championships. He's a four-time winner of the Division II National Coach of the Year. This guy's kind of a big deal. My buddy Goss just called him Coach T. That's who he was to him. And, and Coach T was the real deal. He was a bold and faithful Christ follower, and he modeled that in front of his guys, his athletes. And, and so that really impacted my buddy David. And so Goss was sitting there talking about Coach T and the influence he was in David's life. And I'll never forget this. At one point in time, he stopped and he kind of pulled a Bible out of the back of his jeans. And he said, you know, talking about Coach T makes me think of this story out of the Bible. And he opened his Bible. And and there I was at this Young Life Club solely because I was chasing this super hot chick that had invited me to come. I wasn't there to hear about Jesus or the Bible, right? I was a guy who was there trying very hard to fill what was a deep void in my life. But I was just interested at that time with hanging out this beautiful woman that I was stalking. I mean, interested in. I was just looking for happiness, right? I was looking for meaning. I was looking for purpose. I was looking to fill what was actually a God-shaped hole in my heart with things that had absolutely no chance of filling that hole. I'd tried a bunch of stuff over the course of my life to that point in time. I'd tried bad relationships. I'd tried making money. I'd tried appearing successful. I'd tried a whole lot of alcohol. I I kept looking to these things that might bring me some, some temporary happiness, some circumstantial happiness. And I realize now that I was actually looking for something so 
much bigger. I was seeking for joy. I just didn't comprehend it at the time. But I'll never forget the passage that Goss shared was this one. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. He read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he was talking about Coach T and all his buddies who knew Jesus. He read, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, you ready for this? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I'd gone to church quite a bit as a kid. My grandparents drugged me to church until I was 13 years old. I'd certainly heard stories about Jesus. I knew that he died on the cross. Well, I've got to admit, at the time, I didn't understand why. I would learn later on, reading my Bible, that the beginning here of Hebrews chapter 12 follows up Hebrews chapter 11. That's the faith hall of fame. Just hear story after story of these faithful saints who modeled character and perseverance. Again, at the time, I didn't know that. All I knew going into that Young Life Club that night was I was a 26-year-old dude chasing after the hottest woman I'd ever seen in my life, like a puppy chases after a ball. And, and I just want you to know, through the video screen, I'm feeling some judgment from you guys, and that's not your place, okay? Be better than that. But at that moment, when my buddy Goss was talking about Coach T and this great cloud of witnesses, Christ followers he had in his life, the thing that God was really hammering me over the head with was this notion that Jesus endured the cross. Endured the cross. That's what he kept hitting me with. And the question you have then is, why? Well, the text tells us, it says it's because of the joy set before him. And I remember that moment, kind of a light bulb coming on for me. And I realized there's this huge difference between happiness, temporary happiness, and eternal joy. Joy that comes with love and hope and peace. Joy that's not based on my circumstances. Joy that's available even in the midst of trials and tribulation. And on that day, I saw the light. I recognized the path towards joy. And I realized Jesus wanted to be my guide on that path because he rested in joy, even when facing hostility, even when there were sinners who wanted to kill him. On that night, somehow God opened my eyes to the fact that real life, lasting joy, that's what I'd been seeking. Because God had placed eternity in my heart and no amount of money or booze or success was capable of bringing me that kind of joy. So I set out on that path. I professed faith in Jesus. And, and after that, Christina agreed to date me. She'd been holding out on that until I was a Christ follower. Good move on her part. And, and we got married and, and I sold my sporting goods store. And I went on staff with Young Life, and that led me to joining the staff of the church where God had us attending back in Missouri, and that led me to seminary, and somehow, by the grace of God, that led me to Lewiston, Idaho, because God is good, and he had a plan for me, and joy is possible, and so I just want to follow God on that path towards joy, because joy is coming came in the person of Jesus and the tiny baby in the manger we read about in our text today, but also eternal joy is coming. 
when Jesus returns to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. So that's the, the question for us to ponder today. Do we comprehend joy? It's not happiness. We've already said it's not based on our circumstances. How much is painfully obvious when we read God's word. There we see passages like Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 41, and we see the apostles in a really difficult situation. They get whooped. They take a beating. And here's how they respond. When they'd called in the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41, then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Did we catch that? The apostles rejoiced after a beating. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Excuse my grammar, but that ain't happiness. That's joy. Joy is not based on our circumstances. We see this so many times. What about this example? Hebrews chapter 10. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. People stole from you, and you were joyful about it. Why? Since Christ followers, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Church, there's this joy that's available that transcends our situations. There's this gladness that's available that we can build our lives on that's going to hold up in the midst of trials. And if we grasp that, then when things pop up that don't bring us happiness, no matter what it is, we can have joy. We know these things happen. We lose our job. We lose a loved one. Our marriage is struggling. Our kids are prodigal. Our grandkids are prodigal. There's no happiness in those circumstances. But because of Jesus, because we rest in him, because we abide in him, church, do we believe there can be joy? There can be love. There can be hope. There can be peace and abundant life without trying to manufacture it on our own without turning to diversions or addictions or seeking comfort in horrible relationships. Instead, we can stand in the middle of the storm and we can weather those circumstances. And the folks around us are going to be amazed. And they're going to ask questions. Where does he, where does she get that peace? Where's that comfort coming from? Where's that strength coming from? And we will know comes from the joy of the Lord. And oh, I hope that makes us go out and share that story and make disciples who make disciples. But this is what we see in the Christmas story today. It's a very familiar passage. Maybe we've missed this part before. So today, let's pause. Let's notice that what the angel gives the shepherds in this text is a proclamation. What's the proclamation? Joy is coming. Look with me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And don't lie, you would be too. So would I. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, and here's the proclamation, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of what? Great joy. It will be for all the people. What's the good news? What brings the great joy? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's the good news, the great joy? How does the angel say that that we can trust looking past our circumstances for happiness and instead trust in joy? We can use that platform to build our lives upon. What's the good news? It's that a Savior has come. Now, we know what a Savior does, right? They save. It's kind of in the name. They, They rescue. They deliver. We talk about this today. There, there are occupations that have this kind of in the title, firemen, firewomen, policemen, policewomen. They get that title. Wow, that fireman saved that guy from that burning building. Wow, that policeman, that policewoman, she ran over and she pulled that guy from the scene of the accident. She saved his life. We've heard that before. But do we remember that in the Old Testament we heard about Yahweh? the title of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Throughout the First Testament, Yahweh is the one who saves his people. We do not have time to look at the the plethora of examples, but on our own this week, we could read through the Psalms. Passage after passage after passage of God being our helper, being our rescuer, being our deliverer, being our Savior. So we know this concept was familiar for God's people, right? The psalmist describes the Savior. Many of the Old Testament prophets point to a Savior again and again. Let's share just one example because this one's really powerful. This is from the prophet Isaiah. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record God saying this, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And this is really key because we need to remember, at the time Isaiah is inspired to write this, the folks in that culture were very polytheistic, which means they had a whole bunch of lowercase g gods, right? If somebody wanted to get pregnant, what did they do? They prayed to the fertility god. If they wanted to have a great harvest, they prayed to the rain god or the sun god. And and so the one true god, the god of the universe, looks at all this going around and he kind of stands up and clears his throat and goes, excuse me. There's only one Savior. And this is not God being boastful. I can guarantee that. God's not a braggart, okay? He's just trying to be crystal clear because this information is that important. I think this is basically God kind of in the same camp as the announcement that God the Son makes in the New Testament. Do you remember that? When he declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not Jesus trying to brag. That's just Jesus being abundantly clear that he is the one who saves. And that truth, that picture is painted so clearly in God's word. But it doesn't mean that people have not struggled. People still do struggle with this concept today. There are lots of people who very incorrectly believe that all roads lead to heaven. I've literally had conversations with these people. I'll be sharing the good news of great joy with someone. I'll I'll share that belief in Jesus is the only thing that will guarantee eternal, abundant life. And they'll say to me, well, you know, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, because here's the deal. We're all going to wind up in the same place, right? 
There are folks who believe that all religions, all spiritual paths, they're all just different routes up the same mountain, right? And so people will reject the one true Savior and then shout out, it's okay, I'll see you at the top. And the God of the Bible says, that's not the case. All roads don't lead to heaven. But God so loves all the people that he is supremely precise about the one path that actually does lead to eternity in heaven. There's only one path that gets to the top of the mountain. There's only one journey that promises abundant eternal life that starts here on earth, sure, but it winds up in heaven. And that path is placing our trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the proclamation that offers great joy that the angel tells the shepherds about, that a Savior is born. That Jesus came to this fallen planet and he arrived on mission. He came for a specific purpose. Dr. Luke tells us exactly what it is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the first 26 years of my life when I was lost, I was trying to stuff square pegs and round holes. I was, I was looking for peace from things that offered no peace. All that time, Jesus was seeking me. He was drawing me to himself because he came to save me. Amen? But not just me. He wants to save the world. And you don't have to take my word for this. In John chapter 4 and verse 42, in context, it's beautiful. Jesus has this phenomenal encounter with a Samaritan woman. And that was unique kind of on two fronts. Number one, Jesus was a Jew, and the Samaritan woman was a Samaritan. <laughs> and typically, those two groups didn't play well together, right? They were oil and water. They were 49ers fan and Seahawks fans, right? They just didn't mix. So it was odd that Jesus spoke with her. And it was doubly odd that a man would approach a woman in the scenario they were in. Jesus found her at the well in the middle of the day drawing water. And she was there because she didn't want her to run into anybody. But, but Jesus did approach her. And he did convince her that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And then what happened? She did her job. She was a great ambassador for the Lord. She went out and told a bunch of folks. Listen to what these folks said when they heard from Jesus. They said to the woman, the Samaritan woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And I remember having that kind of experience in my testimony, in the part before I knew Jesus, because I'd heard a lot of things about Jesus growing up. My grandparents had desperately tried to pour into my life, but this is a hard reality. Our faith can't save anyone but us. If it could, we'd go and save every person that we love, right? We'd just somehow force our faith on them. But it doesn't work that way. Still at that time that God was drawing me to himself, I was first attracted because of what Christina believed and how she looked, but that's just a bonus from God. I'm still reaping that bonus today. God is so good. But, but I was drawn towards God by what Christina believed, by what my buddy David Goss believed. I thought he was really, really cool. But at some point in my journey, I believed. I heard from God, and he saved me. 
And so at that point, I didn't have to say, well, Christina, you know, believes so-and-so. And my grandparents, you know, they have faith. No, I was able to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's the Savior of the world. And today I know, today I'm so confident that he rescued me. And now he helps me through each and every day that he leaves me on this planet to make disciples who make disciples. God is the Savior of all who profess faith. Amen? But that proclamation, now that begs a follow-up question. If God's saving people, if he's rescuing people, what is he rescuing us from? The Bible's pretty clear on this one. God saves us from darkness. God saves us from brokenness. He delivers us from sin. He rescues us from death. This is how the Apostle Paul explains it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. He writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul's telling us about Satan here. Verse 3, Among whom we were all, pardon me, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here's the two greatest words in the Bible. Verse 4, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. That's a, a telling introduction because Paul says, well, a lot of people just follow the course of this world. What does that mean? I think we know. I think we've been doing this for a long, long time. We are sinful, fallen people. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And it's really easy to fall into that trap. We go, well, everybody else is doing it, so guess it's not a big deal if I do it. Everybody else talks like that. Everybody else watches that kind of stuff. Everybody else is cheating on their tests or cheating on their taxes or cheating on their spouses. So I'll just follow the course of the world. This isn't a new problem we're facing today. Paul wrote this centuries ago. I continue to hear people say, well, our problems now here in the 21st century, they're worse than they've ever been. I don't believe that's true. I just think we have the Internet now. There's more opportunities and we just hear about it quicker. That's the whole deal, right? We immediately hear about somebody else's sinfulness. But this following the course problem, that's where we struggle. Because that hits us where it hurts because we just want what we want. Sometimes we're not even trying to hide it. This goes on both sides, I believe. I've heard lots of chatter over the last couple years about people who say they're Christ followers. They say they love Jesus, and they say Christ followers should just impose our beliefs on America. We should impose our beliefs on the world because that would be better for everybody if they all followed Jesus. And I agree with that last part. Everybody following Jesus would be better, but as we said earlier, we can't save people. So we shouldn't try to impose beliefs on people. We shouldn't try to legislate morality. Here's what we can do, church. Here's what we're supposed to do. Point people to Jesus. Preach the gospel. Be evangelists in season and out of season. Point to Jesus because he can save people. 
God does have the answers to our problems today. Jesus has come so that people can have hope. But we, we far, far too often, we try to lean in on our own understanding because we're driven to do what we want to do. That leads to a ton of sinful behavior. Again, we see it all over. Folks who practice alternative lifestyles. But, but it also leads to poor choices from well-meaning Christ followers. We're just as selfish. We're just selfish in the other direction, right? Talked last week about people who are near and people who are far away. Both of those groups of people are saying, well, we don't want anything to do with those star-bellied sneeches, right? Let's just ban them from the beaches. There's a good Dr. Seuss reference for you. And we say things like, well, let's make it illegal for someone to act in a way that we don't like. And we seem to forget God loves those people who act like we don't like. God loves them just as much as he loves us because he is love. I mean, seriously, do we think there's certain groups of people God can't save? Have we read the Bible? <laughs> it's not a contest, but God's word is filled with stories of people who have outsinned you and me. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses killed a guy with his bare hands. David was committing adultery, so he sentenced the husband of this lady he was committing adultery with to death. Paul either killed a bunch of Christians or he supervised the killing of a bunch of Christians. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. God saved all those people. <laughs> it's incredible. Church, are we saying there are people who can out God's grace? There are people in this room right now. Don't look around. Don't look around. This is the beauty of being up on the screen. <laughs> I feel a little removed right now. There are folks in this room right now who have out you and me. But it's not about that at all. It's about the God who can save us, amen? He's the one who delivers. He's the one who rescues. And so at Christmas time, we can celebrate his grace because he's the one who brings that kind of joy. Church family, Jesus is for you and me the advent of eternal joy. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I love this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. Church, that's joy. Being transferred from dark to light to redemption to forgiveness. And deep, deep down, because we have eternity wired in our heart, people want that joy. We want that void in our hearts to be filled. But what happens? Because we're so selfish, we pursue different things. We pursue happiness and things of the world. We try so hard to lean in on our own understanding. We're actually fearfully and wonderfully made to seek after God, and we lose sight of that calling. So what do we do? We pursue fun. We pursue good times. We, we crave temporary happiness that comes from some outside source. And those things wind up betraying us because we're turning to things that cannot fill the God-shaped hole. We're turning to things that cannot save us. We turn to idols. We turn to trusting ourselves, trusting this fallen world. But those are places where happiness goes to die. Those aren't the places where God's joy abounds. But it's so, so easy to get bogged down in those areas. 
We watch one video we shouldn't watch. We cross the line flirting that one time. We start to realize what a slippery slope we're on. I self-medicated that one time, and now I want to do it again, but now I crave more. What happens? We get bogged down in those things instead of being lifted up by joy. Because our sinfulness, our selfishness, will always take us on a journey inward. That's what causes us to define who we think we are. We just claim whatever identity we think will make us happy. So we misgender ourselves. Or we claim things outside of God's call for us. We go, well, I'm an athlete. That's what I'm going to be. I'm a good student. I'm goth. I'm more politically minded than anyone I know. And what are we doing? We're looking for happiness inside ourselves. We want to be able to define ourselves. But then what do we do? We immediately run out to others and we're seeking validation and approval. We yearn for someone to come along and confirm that identity we've adopted. Why, yes, you are a good student. Yes, you are a tremendous athlete. Why, yes, you are the brightest political mind I've ever encountered. And what we're trying to do is find someone who will validate that identity that we've adopted. Listen to me here really clear on the last one. But it's an identity outside of the identity that God wants for us. What's the identity he longs for us to claim? Child of God. That's the identity we get the moment we profess faith in Jesus. He wants us to claim that identity. He wants us to be rescued. He wants us to be saved. But we have to die to ourselves enough that we're going to profess faith in him. And we know dying to ourselves, dying to our earthly desires, that's hard to do, amen? So a lot of folks don't do it. We choose to live in whatever sin we find desirable, and then we try and find folks who agree with us so we can be happy. And if the world doesn't affirm our identity as athlete or golf or whatever, golf, if the people don't celebrate my sinfulness, if I can't find a religion that tells me I'm okay just the way I am, what do I do? I just double down on pouring into myself because I certainly don't want to submit to anyone else. This is one of the most important theological concepts that anyone anywhere can wrestle with. God does love us in the midst of our sin. When God called me to himself at 26 years old, I was a lying, drunk slob. I was as hot a mess as you can imagine. And God loved me right there. But he loved me perfectly. He loved me so much that he was unwilling to leave me right there in my sin because he wants so much more for us. He wants the very best for us. He wants abundant life. The philosophy that Satan champions in this fallen world is, well, you do you, right? If you think something is right for you, then it certainly is. And I want to tell you now, and I have lots of experience on this, there's no joy in that position. I used to struggle in that area when I would share my testimony. Right after I became a Christ follower, I was volunteering in Young Life, and I got to share my testimony a lot. And I didn't realize this till later on. I was really focusing on that first part of my testimony. I'd take 15 minutes sharing my testimony, and 13 minutes would be about how horrible I was, how far away from the Lord I was, all the lying and cheating and stealing I did, and how drunk I used to get, and the bad relationships I was in. And one time something happened, and I got really convicted to focus less 
on that first part of my testimony. I needed to spend a lot more time on the Jesus event and the last part of my testimony. And not because I was trying to hide anything. Amazingly enough, I should have been embarrassed over all the sinful things that I'd done. I wasn't, right? But, but the reason I quit focusing on how far away from the Lord I'd been, because one time after I shared my testimony, I heard some high school kids talking, and they were saying things like, well, I want my life to kind of look like James's did. I want to go out and live my life, and I want to have a lot of fun, and then later on, I'll walk with Jesus. Now listen, that's foolishness for two reasons. Number one, we're not promised tomorrow in this life. Scripture says our days are just a vapor. They're just a mist. There's not a one of us here who's guaranteed tomorrow. Life is a gift. That's why Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Amen? God is the one who saves. That's number one. But number two is where I had to go and confront these high school kids and say, you think I was having fun? You think that's super happy time when you can't remember where you parked your car? When you can't remember even how you got to the place you are in the first place? It's only by the grace of God I didn't kill somebody or kill myself driving, and I drove like that a lot. We think that's fun? Church, hear me on this. If we're looking for fun, if we're looking for happiness and we look into our relationships or our actions or our activities or our hobbies or our money, we're looking in the wrong place. But in our fallenness, we still do it. We give in to things we think will make us happy. We drink that thing or we smoke that thing that we shouldn't. We watch that thing online that we shouldn't. We send a mean text or a tough meme to somebody because we know it's going to trigger them, it's going to make them upset. And then later we know we're going to feel guilty about it, but right now it seems kind of funny. Makes us happy, so we do things like that. But here's the bottom line. We're not supposed to try and seek happiness from within because God has wired us to find real joy. He's wired us with eternity in our hearts, and we're going to find joy in our Savior alone. Amen? Let me try to wrap this up. I'm going to return to our passage in Luke, because that's where we see the angel saying that Jesus is showing up as good news of great joy. Do you remember for who? He said, for all the people. Do we really believe that? Jesus coming as the little baby is good news for all the people? Doesn't that make us ask, well, then why aren't all the people joyful? (laughs) Why doesn't everybody get in on this, on the angel's proclamation? It's because this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's the first advent. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. And this is, in my opinion, just the greatest example of chasing our tail in the history of ever. Because God loves us and he wants so much to save us. He wants to deliver us from sin. He wants us to have this an eternal relationship with him. He wants that so much he sent his son and he's wired that into our hearts. But our fallenness makes us love the darkness. Our sinful desire drives us to go out and search for short-term happiness instead of lasting joy. 
And what happens for each and every person almost, we hit rock bottom. We hit the bottom, and that's when we realize how much we need the light. And that is the thing God's been offering from the very beginning. But we dance this dance. The offer is on the table for all people. It's light. It's salvation by God's grace through professing faith in Jesus. It's joy and hope and love and peace. It's salvation and sanctification. And so many people say, "Mm, no. No, not right now. It it can't be that easy, right? So here's what I'll do. I'll try to rest in this sexual identity I choose to associate with. I'll try to rest in this gender identity. I'll try to rest in, in finding happiness in my political affiliation or finding peace because of my success in finance or business or I'll try to find purpose in my relationships because my spouse is so hot or or so successful or my kid's a great athlete or my grandkid's going to be the next Albert Einstein and we settle for something that at best is only going to offer short-term happiness without the capacity to produce lasting joy. And so what are we really saying? Hey, God, thanks for that light. But it turns out I prefer darkness. We make that choice. And then this is the part that is so wild. We make that choice to live in the darkness rather than the light. And then we get angry that God has the nerve to judge us for choosing the darkness. When he has been offering the light from the very beginning. Mankind choosing sin, choosing darkness, that's not the way God wants this to play out. He wants us to have hope and peace and love and joy. That's why we've spent weeks talking about this. And we're going to talk more about it next week when we get together on Christmas Eve morning. We're going to talk about Jesus, I know, crazy. We're going to talk about salvation. Invite your friends to come and hear that. And then we're going to have the chance to gather that evening for our candlelight services. I love those so much. And we'll talk about the light of the world. So church, please know, this Advent season and always, Jesus is offering joy. Eternal joy despite our fallenness. Eternal joy in spite of our circumstances. That's what God wants for us. That's why he's wired Eternity into our hearts is why he sent his son as our savior. And we can know this because the angel showed up to proclaim that good news to the shepherds that love is coming and hope is coming and peace is coming and joy is coming because of Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. I really look forward to seeing you in person next week. I I hope that you know I love you guys. I want to thank you so much for all your prayers throughout the week. I hope to see you soon. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for the things that we got to study this Advent season, but much more so, God, for you. The God of the universe, sending yourself sacrificially for your son to go to the cross to die in my place, sinful man's place, to reconcile people back to you. And, And that offer of eternal life is available to anyone, anywhere who professes faith in you. Father God, next week we'll talk 
a lot about salvation, but, but God, today there may be someone who, who understands that you have been seeking them. You're drawing them to yourself and your greatest desire is that they would abandon the darkness and they would turn to the light. They'd profess faith in you and they would claim forever the identity that you desire for us, child of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.